Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Looking for more information on the podcast? Visit litreading.com. Now please bear with us as we pay the bills. Our story begins shortly. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Our next story is more of an essay than a short story, which takes aim at a certain segment of humanity, one that confuses us with its contradictions. To avoid spoiling the author's perfect introduction, here is Good Souls by Dorothy Parker. All about us. Even living in our families, there exists a race of curious creatures. Outwardly, they possess no marked peculiarities. In fact, at a hasty glance, they may be readily mistaken for regular human beings. They are built after the popular design. They have the usual number of features arranged in the conventional manner. They offer no variations on the general run of things in their habits of dressing, eating, and carrying on their business. Yet between them and the rest of the civilized world, there stretches an impassable barrier. Though they live in the very thick of the human race, they are forever isolated from it. They are fated to go through life congenial pariahs. They live out their little lives, mingling with the world, yet never a part of it. They are, in short, good souls. And the piteous thing about them is that they are wholly unconscious of their condition. A good soul thinks he is just like everyone else. Nothing could convince him otherwise. It is heartrending to see him going cheerfully about, even whistling or humming as he goes, all unconscious of his terrible plight. The utmost he can receive from the world is an attitude of good-humored patience, a perfunctory word of approbation, a praising with faint dams, so to speak. Yet he firmly believes that everything is all right with him. There is no accounting for good souls. They spring up anywhere. They will suddenly appear in families which, for generations, have had no slightest stigma attached to them. Possibly they are throwbacks. There is scarcely a family without at least one good soul somewhere in it at the present moment, maybe in the form of an elderly aunt, an unmarried sister, an unsuccessful brother, an indigent cousin. No household is complete without one. The good soul begins early. He will show signs of his condition in extreme youth. Go now to the nearest window and look out on the little children playing so happily below. Any group of youngsters that you may happen to see will do perfectly. 
Do you observe the child whom all the other little dears make it in their merry games? Do you follow the child from whom the other little ones snatch the cherished candy to consume it before his streaming eyes? Can you get a good look at the child whose precious toys are borrowed for indefinite periods by the other playful youngsters and return to him in fragments? Do you see the child upon whom all the other kitties play their complete repertory of childhood's winsome pranks, throwing bags of water on him, running away and hiding from him, shouting his name in quaint rhymes, chalking coarse legends on his unsuspecting back? Mark that child well. He is going to be a good soul when he grows up. Thus does the doomed child go through early youth and adolescence. So does he progress toward the fulfillment of his destiny. And then, some day, when he is under discussion, someone will say of him, Well, he means well anyway. That settles it. For him, that is the end. Those words have branded him with the indelible mark of his pariahdom. He has come into his majority. He is a full-fledged good soul. The activities of the adult of the species are familiar to us as well. When you are ill, who is it that hastens to your bedside bearing molds of blancmange which from infancy you hated with unspeakable loathing? As usual, you are way ahead of me. It is indeed the good soul. It is the good souls who efficiently smooth out your pillow when you have just worked it into the comfortable shape, who creak about the room on noisy tiptoe, who tenderly lay on your fevered brow damp cloths which drip ceaselessly down your neck. It is they who ask every other minute if there isn't something they can do for you. It is they who at great personal sacrifice spend long hours sitting beside your bed, reading aloud the continued stories in the woman's home companion, or chatting cozily on the increase in the city's death rate. In health, as in illness, they are always right there, ready to befriend you. No sooner do you sit down than they exclaim that they can see you aren't comfortable in that chair and insist on your changing places with them. It is the good souls who just know that you don't like your tea that way and who bear it masterfully away from you to alter it with cream and sugar until it is a complete stranger to you. At the table, it is they who always feel that their grapefruit is better than yours and who have to be restrained almost forcibly from exchanging it with you. In a restaurant, the waiter invariably makes a mistake and brings them something which they did not order and which they refuse to have changed, choking it down with a wistful smile. It is they who cause traffic blocks by standing in subway entrances arguing altruistically as to who should pay the fare. It is they who cause traffic blocks by standing in subway entrances arguing altruistically as to who is to pay the fare. At the theater, should they be members of a box party, it is the good souls who insist upon occupying the rear chairs. If the seats are in the orchestra, they worry audibly all the way through the performance about their being able to see better than you, until finally, in desperation, you grant their plea and change seats with them. If, by doing so, they can bring a little discomfort on themselves, sit in a draft, say, or behind a pillar, then their happiness is complete. To feel the genial glow of martyrdom, that is all they ask of life. Good souls are punctilious in their observation of correct little ceremonies. If, for example, they borrow a postage stamp, they immediately offer two pennies in return for it. They insist upon this business transaction. They never fail to remember birthdays. 
their little gift always brings with it a sharp stab of remembrance that you have blissfully ignored their own natal day. At the last moment, on Christmas Eve, comes a present from some good soul whose existence, in the rush of holiday shopping, you have completely overlooked. When they go away, be it only for an overnight stay, they never neglect to send postcards bearing views of the principal buildings of the place to all their acquaintances. To their intimates, they always bring back some local souvenir, a tiny dish featuring the gold-lettered name of the town, a thimble in an appropriate case both bearing the name of their native city, a tie rack with the name of the place of residence burned decoratively on its wood or some such useful novelty. The lives of good souls are crowded with occasions, each with its own ritual which must be solemnly followed. On Mother's Day, good souls conscientiously wear carnations. On St. Patrick's Day, they faithfully don boutonnieres of shamrocks. On Columbus Day, they carefully pin on miniature Italian flags. Every feast must be celebrated by the sending out of cards. Valentine's Day, Arbor, Groundhog Day, and all the other important festivals, each is duly observed. They have a perfect genius for discovering appropriate cards of greeting for the event. It must take hours of research. If it's too long a time between holidays, then the good soul will send little cards or little mementos just by way of surprise. He is strong on surprises anyway. It delights him to drop in unexpectedly on his friends. Who has not known the joy of those evenings when some good soul just runs in as a surprise? It is particularly effective when a chosen company of other guests happens to be present, enough for two tables of bridge, say. This means that the good soul must cut in at intervals, volubly voicing his desolation at causing so much inconvenience and apologizing constantly during the evening. His conversation, admirable though it is, never receives its just due of attention and appreciation. He is one of those who believe and frequently quote the exemplary precept that there is good in everybody. Hanging in his bedchamber, there is the whimsically phrased yet vital statement done in burned leather. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. This, too, he archly quotes on appropriate occasions. Two or three may be gathered together intimately discussing some mutual acquaintance. It is just getting really absorbing when comes the good soul to utter his dutiful, we mustn't judge harshly, after all. We must always remember that many times our own actions may be misconstrued. Somehow, after several of these little reminders, there seems to be a general waning of interest. The little gathering breaks up, inventing quaint excuses to get away and discuss the thing more fully, adding a few really good details, someplace where the good soul will not follow. While the good soul pitifully ignorant of their evil purpose, glows with the warmth of conscious virtue and settles himself to read the Contributors Club in Atlantic Monthly with a sense of duty well done. Yet it must not be thought that their virtue lifts good souls above the enjoyment of popular pastimes. Indeed, it does not. They are enthusiasts on the subject of good, wholesome fun. They have a time-honored formula of fun-making, which must be faithfully followed. Certain words or phrases must be whimsically distorted every time they are used. Over the river, they dutifully say whenever they take their leave. 
Don't you cast any asparagus on me, they warn archly, and they never fail to speak of three times in concussion. According to their ritual, these screaming phases must be repeated several times for the most telling effect and are invariably followed by hearty laughter from the speaker to whom they seem eternally new. Perhaps the most congenial role of the good soul is that of advice giver. He loves to take people aside and have serious little personal talks, all for their own good. He thinks it only right to point out faults and bad habits which are perhaps unconsciously growing on them. He goes home and laboriously writes long, intricate letters, invariably beginning, Although you may feel that this is no affair of mine, I think you really ought to know, and so on, indefinitely. The good souls will doubtless gain their reward in heaven. On this earth, certainly, theirs is what is technically known as a rough deal. The most hideous outrages are perpetrated on them. Oh, he won't mind, people say. He's a good soul. And then they proceed to heap the rankest impositions upon him. When good souls give a party, people who have accepted weeks in advance call up at the last second and refuse without the shadow of an excuse save that of a subsequent engagement. Other people are invited to all sorts of entertaining affairs. The good soul, unasked, waves them a cheery goodbye and hopes wistfully that they will have a good time. His is the uncomfortable seat in the motor. He is the one who rides backwards in the train. He is the one who is always chosen to solicit subscriptions and make up deficits. People borrow his money, steal his servants, lose his golf balls, use him as a sort of errand boy, leave him flat whenever something more attractive offers, and carry it all off with their cheerful slogan, Oh, he won't mind. He's a good soul. And that's just it. Good souls never do mind. After each fresh atrocity, they are more cheerful, forgiving and virtuous, if possible, than they were before. There is simply no keeping them down. Back they come with their little gifts and their little words of advice and their little endeavors to be of service, always anxious for more. Yes, there can be no doubt about it. Their reward will come to them in the next world. Would that they were, even now, enjoying it. Good Souls was written in 1919 by a 26-year-old Dorothy Parker, then a staff writer for Vanity Fair magazine. It illustrated a sardonic wit that led her to a long, successful writing career in Vogue magazine, Vanity Fair, Life, McCall's, and The New Republic. In 1925, Dorothy was hired as one of The New Yorker's original editors. Known for her acerbic humor, Dorothy Parker said of herself, The first thing I do in the morning is brush my teeth, and sharpen my tongue. Thanks for listening to Lit Reading. I really appreciate it. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast service. And of course, tell other people about Lit Reading and all of these incredible short stories. And of course, I love it when you leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Don McDonald.